Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, fill these words, that they become for us your word of life. Amen. It's like someone just turned out the lights. They had enjoyed generations of peaceful coexistence, and now, with a change of regime, suddenly everything seemed turned against them. First it was economic hardship, then social exclusion as they were deemed the other rather than neighbor. The new ruler needed scapegoats, someone against whom to rally his people. And then it was decreed that they would be slaves, forced to build walls for the ruler, harshly punished if they fell short of quotas. And finally, the decrees became death sentences against their male children. I could be describing the fate of so many people in so many places throughout history or today. Right now, I'm just picking up on our first reading this morning. What our scriptures tell us happened in Egypt, generations after the time of Joseph. Injustice, slavery, ethnic cleansing, racism, these are not new phenomena. But our Bible tells a story of a response to injustice that is not military or judicial or electoral. Our story speaks of the way people, in this case five women, resisted and prevailed. Small victories, perhaps, but in one of these victories was writ God's plan to deliver the Hebrew people from oppression into a new land of promise. Resist is a big word this year, starting with our last election and then through all the marches that we have seen I nominate it for word of the year. And what is being resisted? Well, for those doing the resisting, it's what they see as a rollback of progress on human rights, environmental policies, equality in many spheres. And there are plenty of others resisting the agenda of the resistors. Whatever your position on the issues, a scroll down one's Facebook feed makes it clear there is a whole lot of resisting going on. And maybe we should find this familiar, for resistance is often, maybe always, the way God works to bring about transformation. Resistance is a very different strategy than aggression or power plays. In our stories of God handed down in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, we see that God often seems to work through ordinary people resisting the powerful. We have exemplars of resistance in these women at the heart of our story from Exodus this morning. Two midwives, a princess, a sister, a mother. When the command came to these midwives to kill all newborn Hebrew boys, Shifra and Pua, what great names, resisted this murderous scheme offering an explanation that no one seemed to argue with. Oops, the babies just were born before we could get there. And they, they just didn't comply, and somehow they got away with it. But Pharaoh was not so easily put off. Next, he ordered that all male Hebrew babies simply be drowned in the Nile. 
and though no doubt many met this fate, a certain one was saved through three other women who resisted. First, Pharaoh's daughter who found the baby and realized what was to befall him, and she thwarted her father's designs. She resisted. Then the baby's sister found a way to have him nursed by his very own mother and for her even to get paid for it, <laughs> even as he was raised in the princess's household. This baby was Moses, drawn out of the water, who would grow up to be the great deliverer of his people. The way of God resistance never looks like what the world considers power. It often comes from behind, from beneath, from the margins, when people are looking the other way. As painful as this time in our national life is, when divisions that have been simmering are bursting into full-blown hatred and violence, for Christ followers, there is a reminder. We get further when we don't think we're ahead. St. Paul had that insight. When I am weak, then I am strong, he wrote, noting that God's power kicked in when his own ran out. I've learned that when I think I'm in charge, that it's up to me to get it done, that I have what it takes to get it done, I'm in trouble. It's when I go, yikes, I got nothing. Come, Lord Jesus, that I remember, oh yeah, that's the best place to be, to get out of God's way and let God do it through me. And God does. I don't discount the very real pain and loss and terror that many are experiencing, nor the very real damage being done to our earth and creatures and people. I am saying that God invites us to get behind what God is doing, to discern God's strategies and join them instead of getting all caught up devising our own. I believe God invites us to resist the way those midwives did, more with canny cleverness than with speeches and power plays. God invites us to succeed in what looks like defeat. This is a lesson that Jesus had to keep imparting to his followers. They, like anyone, were attracted to the human vision of success, the crowds, the power, the put-downs of those in authority. Peter names it when Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We are in the winner's circle. Bingo, grand prize, bells and buzzers. But a little while later, in what we'll hear next week, Jesus says, let me tell you how the world is going to receive Messiah, the anointed one. He will be arrested and suffer and be put to death and rise on the third day. Peter argues and said, never, this can never happen to you. And Jesus, who two sentences earlier has designated him a rock, Petros, now rebukes him harshly and calls him a stumbling block because he's thinking the way people think and not like God. Jesus was not about establishing an organization, an institution, a political party. In fact, he resisted all attempts to wield that kind of authority. The authority he wielded was that of master to disciples and teacher. He was training his followers in the way of the kingdom that he preached, the way and the how, much more than the what. 
The earliest name for Christians, in fact, was people of the way. The way of humility and love and service. The way of being a living sacrifice. He sent them out to proclaim the good news of the realm of God and to heal, to set people free and turn them toward God. Jesus wasn't starting a church. Jesus was was forming a new community, a community of radical equality where the poorest and most sinful had as much status as the well-bred, educated, clean livers. It was a community of self-giving love poured out for the other, for the least. It was so radical, it was an offense to every good and decent common-sense ideal. It was so radical, it got him killed. But this is how he demonstrated the supreme power of God, the power of the one who made the universe in poverty and humility, in sarcasm and silence, and ultimately in submission and sacrificial love. It looked to the world like defeat. It still does. What kind of a Lord dies on a cross? There could not have been a bigger defeat than Good Friday, one would think. But oh my, look at what God did Easter morning. No one saw it coming. God's victory comes from the sides, not straight on. But it is eternal. That question Jesus asked is still important. Who do you say that I am? We really need to answer that question. Our answer might evolve, but it's important that we hear Jesus asking it of us and that we give him an answer. Is he just a wise teacher? Is he just a good guy who lived in a manner worth emulating? Is he just someone we read about in a book, admire in stained glass? Is he someone we honor because he seems to be important to people we care about? Or is he, for us, the risen Son of God, the Anointed One, whose power, residing within us by virtue of our union with him in baptism, courses through us as we invite him to release it through us, to hold what needs to be held and to release what needs to be released? Who do you say that he is? You may not feel ready to answer as Peter did. Answer for yourself, honestly, wherever you are. And if need be, say, hey, Jesus, I can't see you. But I believe this much. Help me know you better. Help me to know you more. I believe that Jesus honors the faith we have where we are. And then he leads us to where he needs us to be. God has drawn us out of the water like Moses. God has victories to win through us, though they may look humble. And God purposes to use us to bring deliverance to God's people. And God will equip us, like he did Moses, like he did Peter, with all those gifts we heard about in Romans. We are the rocks on which God builds his church because he says so and makes it so. Not by our own strength or our character or our abilities, but by our willingness to allow God to work through us. I don't know your circumstances. 
what you face Monday morning in your job, in your community. I know what we face in our world. I know we can resist evil where we see it, resist injustice, terror, hatred, resist with the power of God at work in us, calling out, come Lord Jesus. Turn the other cheek, pray for those who persecute you and those who persecute those whom you love. Forgive the unforgivable and release healing in whole communities. Be the church, the community of the beloved, the broken, the healed, and the healing. We are living rocks, shaped and polished in the river of God's living water. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are signs to the world of the new community that Christ is even yet bringing into being. And no power or government or corporation or mob, not the gates of hell itself, can prevail against us. For we belong to God, who is transforming the world through us. Amen.